Well, if you've been around here for the past number of months, uh, we've been sort of going through some some heavier topics. We went through Revelation, and then we went through a series on doctrine, and uh, these have been great series, and I've really enjoyed them. I know many of you have commented the same to me. Uh, but I've, I've sensed, you know, it's, it's almost like when you eat the same kind of meals all the time, um, eventually you want a different kind of food. And so to, I thought today, as we've come to the end of our doctrine series, I'd do just something a little bit differently. A lot of what we have been doing has been a very sort of teaching-oriented, you know, examine this from many different parts of Scripture and, and, and bring it all together to help us see sort of a, a broader perspective on the teaching of the church or on a, a specific issue like Revelation. It was a lot of sort of deep imagery that required a lot of explanation. But we haven't had a chance to really just tell a story. And so I thought today what we do is, well, just look at a simple story. And a number of years ago, I've said this before, uh, when I was at Cornerstone as a pastor with newcomers to Canada, working with new Canadians all the time, one of the main things that we did was uh, offer an English kind of conversation time where people could just sit down and practice speaking English. And what I began to do as that went on was to offer at the end of all that, when it was over for the night, I would say, if anyone wants to stay, I'm going to tell a story, a story from the Bible. And if you'd like to stay, you're, you're welcome to. You don't have to stay. But, I, you know, I'd love to have you just come and listen to a story. And then I would just tell a story from the Bible without a great explanation, just simply telling the story. In fact, uh, as that went on, there was one point where here in Stratford, I hosted a night on the Easter weekend on Good Friday where we went through the whole life of Jesus as I told these stories. And what was amazing, there was about 20 people, maybe 25 in the room, and many of them had never heard the story of Jesus at all. And some of them could hardly understand my English. But we told the story of Jesus, and I remember it just being a powerful night. And I invited uh, people to come to church on Easter Sunday, and, and many of them did come on that Sunday morning. And there was one little boy that sticks out in my memory when I would tell these stories He'd never heard about Jesus before. He was about five years old. And whenever we came to the end, he would always come with his mother. He was just kind of floating around the room, usually kind of yelling and distracting everyone while we were trying to have conversations. But then when it came to the end, he would say, are you going to tell a story about Jesus? And he was always, you know, at one point I remember telling a story that wasn't particularly about Jesus, and he was very, like, disappointed and verbal about it. He was like very disappointed in the story that I was going to tell because it wasn't about Jesus. And I was like, okay, maybe I'm doing something wrong here. But I was always amazed how the simple telling of a story was bringing up all kinds of conversations and allowing people to understand things in a new way. And so what I had been doing was drawing these pictures, just very simple pictures and sort of putting them on the screen to walk through the story in case people couldn't understand what I was saying. And I thought, I'll do that today too. Because uh, as, as hard as I try to work to make myself understandable, sometimes just seeing it helps us. So today, I'm going to tell a simple story from Acts chapter 3 and 4. And once we've gone through, we're going to go through in a little deeper lens. We're going to look at the actual text of Scripture a little bit. But today, we're going to, we're going to hear a story. And we're going to ask the Lord to use our imaginations to help us see clearly who he is, what he's doing, 
and what it means for us as we live. So without further ado, let's get into the story. We just sang about uh, the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon the church for the very first time. Jesus sent the Spirit uh, just after he was raised from the dead and he ascended to heaven. He sent the Spirit upon the church and the church was born. We sang about that. And I've told that story a number of weeks ago. It's the story of Pentecost. And on that day, Peter, uh, the apostle, he stood up and he spoke about what was going on. He gave some explanation. And lots and lots of people responded to his sermon. About 3,000 became Christians that day. And we pick up immediately at the end of that story to come here. It says at the end of Acts chapter 2, that when those 3,000 people all suddenly became the church, they did these things. This crowd, they committed themselves to the apostles' teaching about Jesus. They broke bread together and ate meals together with great joy and praising God. They devoted themselves to prayer. And they made sure that there were no needs among them. They took care of everyone who had a need. They would even sell property to give the money away to those who needed help and assistance. They would also go regularly, often daily, to the temple for prayer and to participate in worship. And then it says in the story that daily the Lord added to their number. So that number 3,000 just kept growing and growing every day because people were just living this new life together. And it was inspiring others around them to be part of it. Well, we flip the page over to chapter 3. And here we see John and Peter coming to the temple for the 3 o'clock evening prayer. As they approached, they saw a man who was begging, asking for money. This man had been lame. He couldn't walk. And it had been 30 years of this. His friends would bring him and put him in front of the temple because they knew that any worshipers that passed by would feel a sense of obligation and duty to provide for this man, to care for him. And so he was positioned well. He had the prime location to get money to live because he couldn't do anything else. So he sat there asking for money. Well, next, we see that John and Peter responded to the beggar by saying, look at us. And so the man looked at them. Then, we don't have silver or gold, but what we do have, we will give you. In the name of Jesus Christ from Nazareth, stand up and walk. Well, What do you think happened next? He stood up. And he began praising God and giving glory to God. There was this wonderful miracle that had happened to him. This had been his entire life. And now suddenly he could stand up and he began rejoicing and praising. And something began to happen. People began to take notice of this. And next we see that a crowd begins to form And they're all amazed because they recognize this man. They've seen him for 30 years as they've gathered here near the temple for worship. And now they recognize this man that he is walking and praising God. And they're wondering what is going on. Well, Peter and John recognize this as a teachable moment. Next, we see 
that they began to teach about what's going on. And they say, don't be amazed as if what has happened has been the result of our godliness or our own power. No, it wasn't us that made this man walk, but it was the power of God. The same God who sent Jesus, whom you killed as a people, who you crucified. But, though he died on the cross and was buried, was raised again by the same power of God. This Jesus is the one who has healed him. And then they said this, it is through this man's faith in Jesus that he has been made to walk again. This was amazing, of course. This was challenging and confronting them with something new, something that they didn't quite understand. They were being told that a person had been raised from the dead and that that person's power now had made this man that they knew, that they were familiar with, walk. Well, this very quickly drew the attention of some of the religious leaders. Of course, they are at the temple. And the religious leaders are very caught off guard by what's happening. There is new teaching that is challenging their teaching. And they want to shut this down. And so that they, they then say, put these men in jail. It's getting late. It's almost evening. Put them in jail and we'll deal with them in the morning. So Peter and John are imprisoned. Then, the next day, they bring Peter and John before them for questioning. The man who is now able to walk is there singing and praising God amongst them. They can see what's going on. And they say to the men, by whose power or by what name did you make this man walk? Peter and John reply. And now we see something happen here. If you can see it here on the screen, there is the representation of the Holy Spirit within Peter. The same Holy Spirit that we just saw fall upon the church and empowering them for a new way to live. And Peter, by the power of the Holy Spirit, speaks to them and says, why do you think that it was us that did this? It wasn't us who made this man walk, but it was the It was the power of Jesus that made this man able to walk again. The same Jesus that you people condemned to death and killed, crucifying him on a cross. The same Jesus that you sent to a grave, and yet God raised from the dead. And these men were, of course, shocked. They could not deny that the man was walking. They knew him. They knew it wasn't possible for him to walk before this. And yet this was so challenging to them that they wanted to shut it down. And so their response of these religious leaders, their response to Peter and to John was to send them away so they could talk and think. And then they brought them back and they said this. Stop talking about Jesus. Stop telling these stories. It's causing trouble. But Peter spoke up and said, Who should we obey, you or God? We can't stop talking about what we've seen with our eyes and heard with our ears. We can't stop talking about Jesus. 
Isn't that a cool story? Do you want to know what happened next? I'm not going to tell you this week. <laughs> but they, they went away. And they refused to stop talking about Jesus. And what could they do? Well, let's take a moment now to look at the, the four different sort of characters, the main characters in this story, and, and see what it is we can hear uh, in them, in their exchanges, especially with Peter and John, and how that points us to Jesus, who is really the star of the whole story. First, we see, of course, the man, the beggar, who hadn't been able to walk for 30 years. We see the crowd and their response of amazement to what has happened, their interest and their desire to know more. We see a very different response from the religious leaders of the day, the priests and the teachers, who are also amazed by what's happened but want to shut it down. And then, of course, we see Peter and John, although Peter does most of the talking. Peter seems to like to talk a lot. Let's go at them one at a time. Next, in Acts 3, 3 to 6. So this is the beginning of the story. Looking at the beggar. It says these words. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, enter the temple, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly. What is he expecting? It says, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. The man had been sitting there for 30 years. He knew no other way by which to take care of himself, to provide food, to take care of his daily needs. And so he thought the only solution to his problem was money. So he sat there and he, he asked for money. And when they responded to him and they said, look at us, of course, he, he imagined that the solution they would offer to him is money. But what they gave to him was something far greater. They didn't take care of his problem for that day. But through the power of Jesus, they were able to address the root problem behind it all. And they were able to deal with the thing he didn't even know he could ask for. So I wonder for you, as you think about this beggar, I wonder if you relate to this man. Is there anything in your life that it's been that way for 30 years? And you couldn't even imagine asking for God to take it away or to deal with it in a different way. Maybe it's robbed you of life. Maybe it's limited you. How is it that you relate to this man that you've been asking for something, but it's just enough to get you through one more day instead of looking to God for something more or trusting him for something better? Have you ever felt like that man? Not doing something wrong, aiming too low. This man is confronted by Peter and John in this moment for something greater. And he doesn't even ask for it, but they give it. Because that's the way Jesus is. He knows our true need. And he knows what we truly need beyond what we're asking for. Peter says, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. We'd already seen at the end of chapter 2 in Acts 
an incredible generosity within the church. They were willing to give whatever they had to take care of other people. Here we see that it just so happens that what they have is something far greater than silver or gold. They have something, someone, who is better. Let's look at the next group of people, the crowd that witnessed this man suddenly walking. This is in Acts 3 to 10 to 11, verse 16, and then also just a little bit from chapter 4 4. When those people realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, which is the gate to the temple, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade, where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. And Peter begins to confront them. Yes, they have amazement. Yes, they're seeing something happen here that's incredible. And they're they're drawn to it. They want to know more. Maybe there's some skepticism, but there's also a sense that maybe there's something to this. And Peter gives sort of a lengthy address to them, a lengthy mini-sermon. And he says this, among many other things, pointing them to Jesus. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. And he spoke many other words explaining who Jesus was and what had happened, how this was a part of what their faith, what they already believed, was really it was a, an extension of that in a way that they had never anticipated. And it says their response then was that many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of men who believed now totaled 5,000. So it's not that the the church suddenly grew from 3,000 to 5,000. It's now just the number of men is at 5,000, which means the group is probably far larger. Maybe it's even 10,000. But it's an indication that there is a great response to what people see in the life of this man and the words of Peter and John. I ask you now, Do you relate to this crowd? Well, you're here in church, right? Maybe you've sensed that there's something real to this. Maybe you're here just out of a sense of obligation or a spouse or a friend has asked you to come. But do you maybe look at it and say, what's going on here? I'd like to know more, but I'm kind of not sure what happens next. Maybe even you come on a Sunday and there's something that's said or someone that interacts with you and there's a kindness or a word spoken or you hear a story and, and you say, maybe, maybe I should lean in a little bit harder. Do you respond like this crowd did with amazement, pursuing more, trying to figure out more, perhaps even with a sense of skepticism? Do you perhaps even take that next step where you say, well, I'm in. I don't understand it all, but I'm in. There's something about Jesus that I need in my life. Then we look at the opposite reaction, really, from the teachers of the religious uh, people. Acts 4, 2, verses 16 and 17. We see some of their reaction to what's happening here. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is a resurrection of the dead. Now, if you were around last week, we talked about uh, how there's a belief in the resurrection of the dead for all people at the end of time, a resurrection to judgment. 
that Jesus was just the first of those being resurrected to new life. And so this is a real issue for these people in that day. It's not just some abstract thing. That's what they were upset about. But then through all of this uh, disturbance, they asked the question, what should we do with these men? We can't deny that they've performed a miraculous sign and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. Now this is the person who's responding with absolute skepticism or perhaps a kind of fear. Here they say, we can't deny that a a miracle has happened. We can't deny that there's something incredible happening here. We can't deny that. But if I believe this, if we accept this as being true and real, it's going to change too much for us. It's going to disrupt all that we do, our ecosystem, how we make money, how we make a living. It's going to disrupt the way that we relate to one another. Because if this is true, that there's a resurrection from the dead, we have to rethink what we believe. And we have to start living in a new way. And those religious leaders and teachers were very much bought into a different type of system of belief. It would be too costly for them to change at this point. I ask you, do you relate to them in any way? Have you seen there is something about Jesus? Seen there's something about his people? Recognize you can't deny that there's something going on here, but taking that step would cost you too much. It would be too hard. It would be too challenging. It would mean too many things about the way you've lived your life need to be dismantled and changed. That you have to live in a new way. That you might have to relate to people in a different way. That it might cause all kinds of challenge and disruption to the way that you've lived your life. And it just seems like the cost is too much. How sad is this, though? That they see a miracle. They see that something amazing is happening. They don't even deny that it's real. But they don't want to be part of it. They want to stop it. They call it propaganda. And they try to shut it down. Do you relate to them? Then we see Peter and John, how they reply to those religious leaders. Acts 4, 19-20. Peter and John replied, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. And of course, even the religious leaders have to acknowledge that who do you, who do you follow, the Lord or humans? And so they're confronted again with this. What else can they say? What else can they do? Go to the next slide. We see further how they reflected on Peter and John, what they saw in those two men. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with 
Jesus. Those religious leaders of the council could see what was going on and they could see that these weren't men who'd gone to school for years upon years. They weren't people who had been trained with them in the religious teachings. And yet they knew something that was greater than they knew. What did they notice about these men? They had a boldness because they'd been with Jesus. So I want to ask you, would people look at your life and say, you've obviously been with Jesus? Would people look at your life and say, ah, well, Gordon, his life is so marked by Jesus, it's it's obvious what has shaped him, what has given him power and strength. Would people look at your life and say, I don't know how he or she is doing this, how they're getting through this difficulty, how they're making it through every day. I don't understand how they are so generous, so kind, so giving. I don't understand how they deal with this frustration one day after another. I don't understand how this is possible, except the difference that I see is they've been with Jesus. Folks, it's my hope for us as a congregation for us as a church at Cornerstone, that we would be marked by the life of Jesus. That even if people would look at us and say, well, they don't have a lot of great teaching behind them. They haven't been to school. They're not very smart. They're not very attractive. They're not very whatever you want to say that might somehow degrade us in some way. They're not any of those things that are outwardly impressive, but they've obviously been with Jesus. I hope that people would say that about us. I hope that they would say that about me. They were recognized as people who had been with Jesus. Would that be said about us in the way that we live? Now, this doesn't knock training. I've been through more years of school than I wanted to do. But I spent year after year getting my education, training in an understanding of the Bible, of the teachings of Scripture, of theology, that was important. It was valuable. It's, it's not to degrade that and say it's, you don't need any of that. But what's far more important here is that our lives are marked by the life of Jesus because I know lots of people, unfortunately, who spent their entire lives in church. Some of them have even gone to seminary to train as pastors. Some of them even are pastors. But there's no mark of Jesus on and the words that they say ring hollow. The way that they act doesn't look like something Jesus would do. Far greater for us is to know and be marked as people who've been with Jesus. And all the better if we have understanding and training behind us as well. But if we don't know Jesus, if we don't have that relationship, it's, it's hollow and empty. And so I want, over the next little while, we're going to be allowing some regular people to speak here on Sunday mornings. Next week, uh, I've asked Daniel to preach. Daniel's over here. You probably saw him uh, greeting you on the way in. Um, and Daniel is going to share us, share with us some of the writings of Peter, who we've just been talking about, from one of his letters to the church. And I hope that as we hear 
God speaking through Daniel, we recognize that whether or not he's had a lot of training, whether or not he's had a lot of experience, that he has been with Jesus. And it's just one small sign of what I want for all of us. I want each of us as a church, it's my job as a pastor to equip you, to help you find your place and role in ministry. It's my prayer that you would find something that takes you perhaps even out of your comfort zone so that people can see that you're not doing it in your own power and strength, but you're doing it in the power of Jesus, who you've been with, who you have a relationship with. For some of you, that will be speaking on this stage, but for most of you, it won't. For some of you, it will mean helping with kits of kindness and putting together bundles for kids. For others of you, it will be showing up and visiting a senior who who can't go anywhere because COVID has kept them housebound. For some of you, it's making a meal for someone else. But whatever it is, I want all of us to act, to think, to speak, to move, because we've been with Jesus. And that shapes all that we say and do. That's something for all of us to be challenged by, to consider from this story, is how regular people, fishermen even, could go and stand before the the highest religious council and still instruct them, still teach them truth. But I want to take you to one last slide, one last couple of passages here, so that we see very clearly what this story has been telling us and what's important for us as we come away from it. Acts 3.12 is one interaction and then another from chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. The first are words that Peter says to the crowd who is wondering how it is that this man is walking. Peter says, Why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? The second is the question that was asked by the council. And then Peter's response. By what power, they asked him, or in whose name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said. And so what I want you to come away with today is, you might not think you know it all. I sure hope you don't think you know it all. You might not have a lot of experience or training or understanding in faith, but it's not too early for you to start living it out. And you might not think you've got a lot to offer, but you do. Each one of us has a contribution to make. Because it's not about our own power, and it's not about our own godliness, or what experience we bring to the table. It's about the Holy Spirit filling us. The power of God in us, enabling us to do what we couldn't do on our own. Empowering us to say words we could never come up with on our own making it possible for us to do, to think, to have a character that reflects the life of Jesus. So as we come away from this simple story, I hope that you will be reminded from the life of Peter and John and the story of how this one man, the beggar, was changed into a life of freedom, that you would remember it was never about the people anyway. The hero of the story is Jesus who made it all possible and his spirit alive within them. Folks, We have an incredible hero amongst us today. And he wants to tell his story through us. 
And you have a lot to offer. Whether you say, well, I don't have silver or gold or not, you can say, but what I have, I'll give you. And when we stay, there's nothing that you can say that will stop me from telling the story of what I've seen and heard when I was with Jesus. May His story come through ours. May His life be seen in us. And may all that Jesus has for us as a church, for us as individuals, be offered for those around us in the world. May we be a gift and a blessing to them. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you that this isn't about our own power, our own godliness, that we can't come with some sense of pride about how great we are. We also can't come thinking we're just too bad. Instead, we find grace, and we've celebrated that at the communion table today. We celebrate your grace, your gift of yourself, the power that you give us in your spirit to live in a new way, to share a story that's powerful, a love that represents your own heart and life. May we be reminded of this story and begin to make it our own so that others will be invited into your story and your life for them. Thank you, Jesus, that through faith in you, real life is possible, real freedom can be ours, and a hope is secured. In your name we pray.